sounds a new beginning Is this in hearts begin believing A hope that shines beyond Darkness 
awesome time of worship, but we want to continue in our worship this morning through giving. We try to make that as easy as possible for you, so go ahead on over to our mobile app or our website. If you're new here with us today, we want to get connected, so go ahead and text CONNECT to the number on your screen. If you're wondering how you can get more involved here with us at MVCC, we want to let you know how to serve. So if you want to get some information on that, go ahead and text SERVE to the number on your screen. Hey, good morning. Super glad that you're here with us today. Uh, this is our final message in our Jesus Uncensored series, and it's been great. We've been working through the Gospel of Mark, and we've been taking a serious look at some of the challenging and difficult things that Jesus has to say. And uh, when I talked to Pastor Mike about this message, he said, look, we're doing this thing in Jesus Uncensored, and uh, it's okay if you're a little edgy. It's okay, it's okay if you challenge people. In fact, if, you, if some people get offended, that's going to be okay. And I just couldn't help but think, oh man, are you kidding me? Offensive and challenging? Those are like right in my wheelhouse. So I've been really excited about this. We're going to be in Mark chapter 10 this morning. So if you've got your Bibles and want to follow along there, you can. And what we're going to see there 
are two different stories of people who run into Jesus and have a conversation with them. And in both of these conversations, Jesus asks the same thing. He says, what do you want me to do for you? And he says it exactly the same way, exactly the same, same words, both times, same question. And before we move too quickly into the text, I want to ask you, how would you answer that question? If Jesus looked you in the eye and said, what do you want me to do for you? How would you answer that? And what would your answer to that question reveal about your heart and about your motives and about the way that you look at your relationship with Jesus? And in the case of these passages, in the case of these two conversations that Jesus has, while the question is the same, in both cases, the answers Jesus receives are very, very different. And they're very instructive for us. In these two answers, we're going to see some examples of both how we should and how we should not approach Jesus with our prayer requests. Now, the first conversation that Jesus has is with two of his disciples, James and John. They're two of his closest disciples, part of the inner circle for sure. And you would think that as close as they were to Jesus, and as long as they'd been following him, that, this conver that in this conversation, James and John would answer, answer this question in a model way, that they'd do it just perfectly. And if you thought that they would do that, you would be 100% wrong. Let's look at what, uh, what Mark says, starting at verse 35 of chapter 10. He writes, Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him, Jesus. Teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. What do you want me to do for you? He asked. And they replied, let one of us sit at your right hand and the other at the left in your glory. That is one heck of a request. It is perhaps the most outrageous, outlandish, most arrogant and audacious prayer request in the history of prayer requests, right? And it embodies something that the New Testament of the Bible refers to as selfish ambition. Now look, ambition itself is not a problem, right? Even the Apostle Paul says, hey, have this ambition for yourself to live a quiet life, a simple life, a peaceful life, and to mind your own business. There's nothing wrong with ambition and wanting to attempt and to um, attempt great things for God and to accomplish great things for him. There's nothing wrong with that. But in the Bible, there is a specific word that's set aside for the wrong kind of ambition. And, uh, and that particular word is this. It's that, it's that kind of ambition that's self-centered, that's self-focused, that's self-important and self-serving. And the New Testament word for that in the Greek, it's used seven or eight times in the New Testament. It's called, the word is eretheia. And it's translated selfish ambition, the wrong kind of ambition. And it's helpful to understand this word, to understand where it came from. It comes from a root word which was originally used by people who were day laborers, people who worked a day for an hourly wage and got paid for the time they put in. No problem there. But over time, the meaning of that word kind of shifted. And it came to stand not just for those who were day laborers, but for folks who Although they worked for a wage, they didn't really care about the product. They just started caring about what was in it for them. And, and after that, the word came to take on an even more nuanced meaning. It started to talk about people who in their, around their work had that attitude, what's in it for me? And it eventually came to be used primarily about politicians 
people who were in positions of leadership and should have been there to serve their community and to take care of the needs of others. But basically, instead of doing that, when, when they used their position for their own gain and just to, to gain credibility and to gain uh, power and to gain influence and to gain notoriety, that word was used of them. Those were people who had selfish ambition. They weren't interested in what they should have been doing for the right reasons. They just, they just wanted to benefit themselves. And that's exactly what James and that's exactly what John are doing when they say, hey, Jesus, when you come to your glory, make one of us your number two and the other one your number three. That's what we're looking for. And, and the thing about it is this, that kind of selfish ambition is so destructive. It's so dangerous. Why? Well, I can point to two things in the passages that we've already read. And then we're going to see a couple more things in the verses that we haven't read yet. But the first reason that, simp that uh, selfish ambition is so destructive is this. It blinds us to the needs of others. See, what you wouldn't know about this passage if you weren't familiar about it is this. Immediately before James and John come to visit Jesus to ask for, for what they want, Jesus has just poured his heart out to his disciples. He's revealed to them, from here I'm going to Jerusalem. I'm going to be beaten. I'm going to be tortured. I'm going to be put to death. I'm going to die. And then God's going to raise me on the third day. And he was pouring out his heart about what was coming. And in the very next verse, here's James and John going, hey, Jesus, we want you to give us anything that we ask for. Can you imagine the, the disconnect there? Have you, ever, have you ever been pouring out your heart to someone, talking to them about something that matters to you, something you care deeply about, something that you're going through, and their response to you is, oh yeah, hey, anyway, by the way, I went to the, went to the Dodger game the other day, and they treat you like you don't even exist, and what you said doesn't even matter. James and John were so caught up in their own selfish ambition that they didn't even notice that Jesus was processing the pain and the struggle surrounding his own death. And they just wrote it off as if it doesn't matter. That's what selfish ambition does. It blinds us to the needs of others who are right around us, the people God's calling us to serve, the people God has equipped us to reach into their lives and to make a difference. And we won't even see it if we have selfish ambition. A second problem with self-ambition is this. It, it tends to overthrow God's place in our life. It tends to overthrow God's place in our life. And here's what I mean by that. James and John come to Jesus and they go, hey, Jesus, we want you to promise to do whatever we ask you. Now, listen, when a, when a two-year-old comes up and says, mommy, daddy, will you do anything I ask? Like, you know what? There's a certain part of us as a parent that goes, well, I'm not going to say yes to a blank check, but I at least got to salute the effort. Like, that's pretty clever of my two-year-old to try that trick on me. But we figure it out, right? But, that's, but this is Jesus they're talking to. And he's not going to fall for that trap. But beyond the silliness of that, here's the thing that's most disturbing. They're talking to Jesus, the one who is fully God and fully man. The, the one that they've been following and observing the miracles that he's been doing. The one who claims to be the son of God and they're following him. And what they should be asking is, Jesus, is there anything in the world you want us to do for you? We've given our lives to following you, to serving you and to serving God. Is there anything you want us to do for you? But they turn that on its head and, and say, no, Jesus, we want you to do something just for us. 
it begs us to ask the question, when we come to Jesus in our prayer life, how, how are we treating him? Do we treat him like he's our employee? Okay, Jesus, I'm here for prayer. I've got three tasks for you today. And when you finish taking care of my needs, make sure to you know, finish the paperwork up and turn it in on time. Or, are we willing to, or, or do we recognize that we should be giving our whole lives for him and dedicating our whole efforts towards his purposes that way? Selfish ambition has a way of turning that on its head and overtaking God's place in our life. Let's go into the next part of the passage here in Mark, because I think, I think there's some important things that we're going to see too about selfish ambition here. So continuing, they replied, let us sit one at our right and one at your left when you're in glory. And then Jesus says, you don't know what you're asking. Can you drink the cup that I drink or be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? Jesus knows he's about to be crucified. He knows he's about to be put to death. And he's asking them, do you think you're up for that? And they say, yes, we can. And Jesus actually tells them some bad news. He says, well, you will drink the cup I drink and you will be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with. But to sit in my right hand or my left hand is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they were prepared. Jesus looks ahead and he says, your life's not getting any better. I know you're looking to be leaders. I know you're looking to be promoted to a place of influence and power and notoriety. But please know that as you follow me, you're going to follow me into some pain and some hurt and some suffering. Down in verse 41, Mark continues. He says, when the 10, that is the other 10 disciples, heard about this, they became indignant with James and John. Jesus called them together and said, you know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles, they lord it over them and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to be great among you, they must become your servant. And whoever wants to be first, must be the slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. In this passage, we see two more things that are so destructive about the kinds of self-ambition that James and John have demonstrated. The, the third one is this. Selfish ambition destroys unity. It just destroys unity. That's why the ten other ten were just indignant. While they were sitting there doing the work of ministry, James and John were out trying to make a place for themselves, trying to be, put themselves in the top spot in, at the expense of the other ten. And when they came back to the group and the group heard about it, they said, wait a minute, I thought we were in ministry together. I thought we were doing this thing together, and yet you're just striking out on your own for your own benefit. You don't care about the mission. You only care about yourself and the unity that Christ so desperately wanted for his people and for his disciples was undermined by the selfish ambition of James and John. And then probably the fourth thing that I see here about the destructive nature of, of selfish ambition is this selfish ambition, it just rejects godly leadership. James and John, they wanted, they wanted to be at the top of the heap. They wanted to be giving the instructions. They wanted to be plotting the course and making the decisions and having other people do their bidding. And Jesus points out to him here, hey, I know you think that that's what leadership is, but it's not. Leadership is not about privilege. And leadership's not about power. And it's not about notoriety. Instead, Jesus suggests that, that leadership, that godly leadership is about seeking and serving and yes, even suffering. Real leadership, Jesus indicates, is about seeking those 
who are lost. That's how, in Luke 19, that's how Jesus described his ministry. He says, I came to seek and to save those who were lost. You, James and John, you, you're looking to be propped up and to have your life be made comfortable, but leadership in the kingdom of God is about seeking others. And it's about serving them, not finding ways for them to serve you. And then finally, Jesus said, look, if you're going to lead in my kingdom, you're going to have to follow my lead and, the, and my path lies through suffering. And if you're going to lead in God's kingdom, you're going to have to suffer on behalf of others, not make yourself comfortable at their expense. James and John completely missed the boat when it came to answering the question that Jesus asked, what do you want from me? Can we stop and, and just apply that for just a moment? You may be saying, it's okay, Pastor Scott, I'm okay. I'm not in any danger there in the selfish ambition thing because Jesus is number one in my life. No worries. But can I tell you, Jesus was number one in James and John's life too. The problem wasn't that Jesus was, wasn't number one. The problem was that they wanted to be number two and three. And there are a lot of people who have Jesus number one in their life, but who are fighting as hard as they can to be number two or number three. It's not how it is in God's kingdom. Selfish ambition makes you fight for your position, whereas, whereas an understanding of God's kingdom is letting that go. I want to ask you, why are you following Jesus? Is it about him? Is it about pleasing him? Or is there, is there any part of your following Jesus which is, what's in this thing for me? What can I gain out of this? How can I fulfill my goals. To the extent that that finds its way into our following of Jesus, we need to repent of that and let it go. That's selfish ambition at work. And finally, with regard to the way that we answer that question, what do you want Jesus to do for you? How do you answer the question? What do you want Jesus to do for you? Is it all about the things you want? Is it about putting you in places of power and notoriety and influence and prestige? those are your prayers, it's selfish ambition showing up. I'm, I'm sad to say how many conversations I've had with people who said, I started out, I, I wanted to follow God, I wanted to serve Jesus, and then I asked, her for, asked him for some things, and Jesus didn't give me what I wanted, and so I left. I quit following him. And I said, so let me get this straight. You were following God, he didn't do what you wanted, and so you fired him. See, when we understand who God is and when we set aside our selfish ambition, it's not about us getting what we want. It's about somehow aligning ourselves with what God wants. So, as if James and John didn't look bad enough for the way that they answered this question, Mark follows up with an account of a, of a person who presents an absolutely complete contrast to them. Here's how it goes down. As Jesus and his disciples, together with a large crowd, were leaving the city, a blind man, Bartimaeus, which means son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside and begging. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And many rebuked him and told him to be quiet. But he shouted all the more, David, son of, or son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and said, call him, bring him to me. And so they called the blind man, cheer up, on your feet, he's calling you. And throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet and he came to Jesus. What do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked him. 
And the blind man said, Rabbi, I want to see. Go, Jesus said, your faith has healed you. And immediately he received his sight and he followed Jesus along the road. I love this account and I'll tell you why. It's because of this amazing contrast between the selfish ambition of James and John and the gentle humility of blind Bartimaeus. James and John had all the access. They knew Jesus. They'd followed him for years. Bartimaeus had none. He was a beggar on the side of the road who happened to be there as Jesus was going by. James and John had all the privileges that went along with being in the inner circle of Jesus' disciples. Blind Bartimaeus, as a, as a beggar dependent on others, had no privilege whatsoever. James and John had prospects and a, and a path that their life, and, uh, their life trajectory was on. Bartimaeus had no prospects whatsoever. And while James and John flaunt their selfish ambition, Bartimaeus demonstrates something else. He demonstrates humility. And humility is the complete opposite of selfish ambition. Bartimaeus isn't trying to become great. He's not be trying to become notable. He's just trying to make it through the day. Humility does a number of things. Humility does this. It reminds us of our deepest need. When we're humble, when we walk in the humility that God calls us to, we're not afraid to remember our deepest need. You understand that Bartimaeus' first call to Jesus wasn't about his sight, wasn't about his vision, wasn't about his healing. He cried out, Son of David, Jesus, have mercy on me. Bartimaeus knew that first and foremost, more than anything else, he was a person in need of mercy. James and John asked for a position. Bartimaeus, in humility, asked for mercy which for all of us is our deepest need when it comes to our relationship with God. And the other thing is this, that humility aligns our requests with God's purposes. Now you could say, I suppose, if you wanted to, well, Bartimaeus was being selfish. He wanted what he wanted. He wanted to see. He wanted his vision. He wanted his healing. But there's something we need to remember. And it comes from the very beginning of Jesus' ministry when he took out the scriptures and the, the scroll of Isaiah and he read the words of Isaiah that say that the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of the sight, a recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then it says that Jesus sat down and he said today, this prophecy is fulfilled in your presence. I am the one that God has called and God's mission through me on this earth is to do these things. Bringing sight to the blind is absolutely aligned with the very reasons and purposes that Jesus Christ was here on earth. And so when Bartimaeus says, is asked, what do you want from me? And he says, I want my sight. He's asking for something that Jesus has already declared he wants to do. He's not just praying his own wishes and his own highest dreams and ambitions. His request of Jesus is something that's already right in line with what Jesus says he's wanting to do. That's what humility does for us. When we're humble, 
we see not just our own desires, not just our own selfish ambitions. What we see is what God already wants to do. And when God asks us, what do you want me to do for you? Humility empowers us to say, I want you to do the things you are ready to do. I want you to heal the sick. I want you to set the oppressed free. I want you to heal the blind and give them their sight. I'm telling you what, church, if we would align our prayers with the things that God has already said that he wants to do in this world, amazing things will happen. But it requires humility to pursue God's purposes rather than our own, uh, own desires and our own wishes. And finally, the last thing I want to highlight here is that humility compels us to follow. I love what it says, that immediately his sight was restored and he began to follow Jesus from that moment. See, humility is about laying aside, here's the track I want my life to go on. And it's saying, I don't need to lead. I don't need to accomplish. I just need to follow Jesus wherever he's calling me. And if he calls me to a place that takes me to the highest heights, awesome. Or if he, if he calls me to follow him into the deepest depths and to serve there, I'm in either way. Because, because humility says, I will follow Jesus's lead. So where does that leave us in terms of action items? What do we do about this? How do we implement these ideas and these thoughts this week? I've got two things I want you to think about. One is to name the selfish ambition in your life and reject it. I promise you, if you ask God to reveal where in your life selfish ambition has taken hold and is making itself known, I guarantee you he'll show you that. None of us are immune. All of us have those corners and those places where selfish ambition is hiding out. And yours may be more hidden than others, perhaps, but it's there. I implore you, I challenge you, go to prayer. Ask God to identify and name the selfish ambition in your life. And when you find it, confess it, name it, reject it, ask God to forgive it, and move from a place of selfish ambition to a place of humility. And second, this week I'm asking you to do this, to spend a week aligning your prayers with God's purposes. To see your prayer time in the coming week, not so much as a chance to remind God of all the places that you have needs, but to even view your prayer time this week as a chance to align and to understand and begin to discern and hear from God what are the things that he wants to do. Now, the good news is one of the things he wants to do and has promised to do is to take care of you. We don't have to beg God to meet our needs. He's already promised in Matthew 6 to do that for us as we seek first God's kingdom. But what else does God want to do? Who are the people in your life that he wants to reach? Who are the people in your life that you know are in need? In what ways does he want to use you to see captives set free, oppressed, delivered? Those without sight receive healing. In the, when he taught us to pray in the Lord's Prayer, he included this line, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Will you spend your prayer time this week seeking God's heart to discern what is his will and what does it mean for his kingdom to come and not worry so much about the particular needs of your own? Listen, man, selfish ambition is something that we all fight. Find it and reject it today and turn it over to the Lord and ask for forgiveness. And then pursue humility with everything you've got, 
anchoring that in a prayer life that seeks God's best. And you are going to have a week in which you see yourself aligning with God's purposes and seeing his will come about in a very practical, tangible way. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this time that we've had to share. I pray that you'd take these truths deep into our hearts. God, identify those places in us that are just abhorrent to you in their selfish ambition. Show them to us so we can reject them. And God, turn us into those people who follow you in humility for your glory, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, I hope this has been helpful for you. You can always share this on social media. Don't forget July 18th. We're back in the building. Looking forward to seeing all of you on that Sunday. Have a great week, and we'll see you next time here at MVCC. 